Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And in my opinion, whenever you can put a large picture of a koala up at the start of your video, well, you have to take that opportunity. If you haven't guessed from the thumbnail or from this large picture of a koala, we are in fact going to be talking about the great country of Australia as part of this video and as part of our now long-running antitrust epic series. Why are we going to be talking about Australia? Because as flagged by Twitter user Neosmweet, hat tip to at nmweet, Epic has brought a lawsuit against Apple, very similar to the one that we have talked about with respect to the United States, in Australia. We're going to be taking a look at that lawsuit. There isn't a lot new there, but we're also going to be talking about the strategies that Epic is employing really now on a global basis, why they are bringing the suits that they are bringing as a point of emphasis in looking at why this lawsuit exists, what they are doing, how Apple has responded, and what exactly is going on in the U.S. case. I also want to give a hat tip to Arkham Fantasy, who flagged the other component of this video that we are going to talk about because it really is part and parcel to this entire litigation framework that Apple and Google and the rest of big tech is facing that, yes, has been fomented, at least in part, by Epic going on this wild expanse of lawsuits now in both Australia and the United States and what may be further jurisdictions. Wouldn't surprise me if they started to pursue some kind of action in the European Union as well. Now, if you can remember, before we get into those two actual topics, if you can remember as part of the antitrust Epic saga, the issue of Apple putting forth a countersuit against Epic. This was set forth in a video that I did called Apple brings the fire in which Apple not only responded to the claims that Epic was bringing against it, but they in fact brought a lawsuit of their own. If we go and we look at the countersuit in that particular document, 67 pages, I'm sure I talked about it for more than an hour in that particular video. We can be reminded that they saw the most obvious breach of contract, that Epic was breaching the contract, the terms that Apple actually set forth. Even Epic doesn't deny that. They simply say that the contract should be deemed unlawful, and also that there was a breach of implied covenant of good faith and fair dealing, quasi-contract, these other kind of ancillary contractual conceits that can be brought on a contractual basis under the law, but then also what we would call torts, intentional interference with prospective economic advantage. And why are those important? Well, they're important because Apple brought them against Epic because of this. Things like paragraph 72, which says, because Epic undertook its tortious conduct with malice and or fraud, then we should be able to go and get punitive damages for that malicious and or fraudulent misconduct. You saw that with respect to intentional interference. You saw that with respect to conversion. If you aren't familiar with the concept of a tort, and who can blame you if you haven't been to law school, the baseline is that these are the damages. These are the things that one person causes to another person that is really outside of the relationships that they might otherwise have in contract. The general example that you get from this in the first day of law school is that it's like a car accident, right? You don't have any relationship with that person who hits you with their car, and yet the law has to figure out exactly how to allocate damages, who should have responsibilities. That's a tort. The car accident itself was a tort. So here, as part of this countersuit, Apple not only brought contractual complaints against Epic, they also brought these tort complaints. 
intentional interference with economic advantage, conversion, which is a fancy, fancy legal way of saying stealing, that because Epic is continuing to operate on its system in some fashion and collecting money through either itself or its international subsidiary, that there is in effect a real issue of stealing happening from Epic to Apple. And what I wanted to bring up this point for is that this was actually all kicked out about a week ago by the court. I've brought up now a blog on a blogger from Foss Patents. This is one I highly recommend following. He's been doing great work covering this and a lot of other tech-based cases that are far beyond my ken in terms of patents and things that I don't deal with on a daily basis. So if you like virtual legality, please do check out his blog over on Blogger. But I wanted to talk about this particular issue right here, which is that he summarizes it as follows. Judge Yvonne Gonzalez Rogers of the United States District Court for the Northern District of California granted an epic motion for judgment on the pleadings on some of Apple's counterclaims. As a result, Apple's counterclaims, unless an appeals court revives the ones the judge just threw out, are limited to breach of contract. Punitive damages, which Apple was seeking, are not available on this basis, so they won't have to be discussed at next year's trial. So what you've got right now is you've got the judge getting that countersuit from Apple and saying, yes, the breach of contract claims can obviously survive. That's what we've been talking about. But these other tortious claims, tortious interference, conversion, everything else, those have to go. Because as the judge put forth, the iPhone maker has not shown any independently wrongful act on Epic's part beyond a breach of contract. Apple had stressed that independently wrongful doesn't mean it's a separate act, but that turned out to be a loser at this level of court case. However, Apple did put forth a statement that said, we respectfully disagree with the court's decision and believe Epic's conduct should be actionable under California tort law. It is clear, however, that Epic breached its contract with Apple in ways the court described as deceptive and clandestine, Epic enabled a feature in its app which was not reviewed or approved by Apple, and they did so with the express intent of violating our guidelines. Their reckless behavior made pawns of customers, and we look forward to making it right for them in court next May. And I think Foss here on his blog rightly surmises that this kind of statement suggests that if it came to it, if Apple were to lose this case significantly, or if there were other kind of ways in which the case went that Apple didn't like, that Apple would revive its tort claims on a court of appeals uh, basis, right? That they would take a look and they would say, hey, look, no, we can make this claim even stronger. The court of appeals should give us the ability to claim tort here because Epic very clearly acted in a surreptitious and clandestine fashion. The judge found it here, a court of appeals court could otherwise find that that deception itself is more than just a simple breach of contract. And so Apple is trying to reserve for itself the right to bring this up at the Court of Appeals level should it come to it. But I did want to mention this because as the case proceeds, I'm not going to be doing a video on every small thing like this, but I am going to bring them up when we talk about larger issues on the Epic versus Apple kind of side of things or just in general tech regulation so that you continue to be up to speed on this case without having to go through a 40-minute video each and every time. Which brings us to what happened today or yesterday, depending on what jurisdiction you're in and who you're talking to. Epic Games brings its Fortnite fight with Apple to Australia. And this is from the A register, which I suspect is the Australian register, but I cannot pretend to know all Australian... Uh, periodicals. They say, why Australia? Because it's currently running an inquiry into app store monopolies. That's why. 
And I want to take a pause here because I think this is an important part of Epic's strategy. We saw Epic bring their case against Apple just really days or weeks before the House Judiciary Committee wound up talking about antitrust actions that they might want to seek against Apple and Facebook and other big tech giants. And we get the impression that Epic is starting to use these litigations not just to win in the court of law, but also to try to set the stage, try to set the stage and establish that Apple is a bad actor, that all of these various sources are looking at them, the EU, the Senate or or House Judiciary Committee, now Australia is looking at them, we're going to bring a lawsuit there, and to really make it feel like Apple is under attack from all corners, and also potentially to highlight even in a loss that the laws need changing. We'll see that actually referenced by the register here later on. Now, first we get the PR from Epic that says, you as a mobile device owner have the right to install apps from sources of your choosing. Software makers have the right to freely express their ideas and to compete in a fair marketplace. Apple's policies take these freedoms away. And we've talked at length in this series, please go check out the earlier videos about defining what the proper market is, about whether device manufacturers have some ability to set rules for actual access to their device. I would certainly argue that historically that has been the case, that Epic is thus presenting a novel kind of argument here that Apple, once it creates the phone, should not have the ability to control its operating system in any way. And Apple responds as you would kind of expect from this. Also note the language that they're using. For 12 years, the App Store has helped developers turn their brightest ideas into apps that can change the world. In ways a judge has described as deceptive and clandestine, Epic enabled a feature in its app which was not reviewed or approved by Apple, and they did so with the express intent of violating the App Store guidelines that apply equally to every developer and protect customers. Does that look familiar? It should, because that's exactly the language that they used in response to this earlier decision by the California court to kick out their claims for tortious interference and conversion. So Apple has its ducks in a row in terms of messaging. This is the message that they want to go out there with, that Epic has acted surreptitiously and deceptively, and that people shouldn't forget that no matter what Epic says about software makers having the right to freely express themselves. But at the end of the day, Epic is still bringing lawsuit after lawsuit. Now, here is an Australian lawsuit that Epic has brought against Apple. Now, I have to give a disclaimer here. We are going to look at this probably in short form because a lot of this is going to be facts that we've already discussed as part of this series. But I am an American lawyer. I'm a lawyer barred in the state of Michigan. I am not an Australian lawyer. I highly recommend if somebody is an Australian lawyer on YouTube or otherwise talking about these things that you seek them out. If One of you were a client sitting in my office and we talked about these things. You would get an analysis like you were about to hear from me on this particular document. But I would also say, hey, if you're getting sued in Australia, you have to go seek out Australian counsel because any given lawyer in any given jurisdiction knows enough to be dangerous. But there are statutes and there is case law and there is just ways of doing things in these various jurisdictions that really only local counsel, counsel that has passed the bar exam or whatever the equivalent is in that jurisdiction is going to be able to help you with. But we can tease out certain things as part of this claim. So first we see that this case concerns conduct of the respondents Apple in contravention of sections 46, 47, or 45 in the alternative of the Competition and Consumer Act of 2010. So with the power of Google, we can go and we can look up these various acts. 
So we see here, section 46 is the misuse of market power. So in Australia, it's illegal for this to happen. A corporation that has a substantial degree of power in a market shall not take advantage of that power in that or any other market for the purpose of eliminating or substantially damaging a competitor, preventing the entry of a person into that or any other market, or deterring or preventing a person from engaging in competitive conduct. This isn't that unusual. This is really what the Sherman Act in the United States is all about. But we see in this law the same kind of implicit question that we see in the antitrust laws in the United States, which is, okay, a corporation that has a substantial degree of power in a market shall not do things to eliminate the ability of a competitor from entering into that market. But what is the market? What is the market at issue here? And Apple would say it's the market for software distribution, that it's everything. It's not even just phones, it's computers, it's video game consoles. It's everywhere that you can get Fortnite is a competitor for every other place that you can get Fortnite. It's a market for software distribution. And judge, you should look at it that way. And we don't have substantial power in the market of software distribution. Epic comes back and says, no, 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 that's not what we're going to talk about here. We are going to say that you have monopoly power over iOS software distribution, specifically the distribution on your phone. And the ultimate question here in the United States, there in Australia, in the EU, at the house level, whatever it might be, is should the manufacturer of a device really be considered as a monopolist of the software market that they themselves created and that govern the use of the device that they manufacture? And as you can tell from this series, I tend to think that that kind of statement, that stance, would have enormous deleterious effects on both the device manufacturers themselves being willing to make devices and on the actual ability for consumers to understand what's happening with their devices and to get the best quality possible. Now, I don't think that you shouldn't be able to get an open source or open access device if you really want one. I think Android presents a nice counterpoint to the iOS ecosystem on that score. But I also think that device manufacturers should be able to decide that, hey, we have these set of rules that are going to govern your access to the iOS, to the iPhone. And if you want to comply with them, great. And if you don't, don't. But that the existence of the iPhone and the iOS itself does not create a brand new one brand market that you can look at a law like this and say you control it too much. Australia, again, disclaimer, might very well disagree. At the Australian level, you are seeing some of the strongest, what they would frame as consumer protection stances. We saw it affect Steam. We've seen it affect other video game controversies and questions in the past. Australia is one of those places that acts very, very strongly against the platform holders or the manufacturers for the benefit of consumers, as they would frame it. And so we might see Epic win a case like this. As the register pointed out, Apple is already under investigation by Australian authorities. And so it makes a lot of sense for Epic to bring complaints like this one. But as we look at it, remember, the ultimate question is, what does market mean? Because if market means what Epic says it means, iOS access, then yeah, they've got a winner. This law is very clear. If you have control over that market, Apple does, and you prevent others from entering into it, Apple does, then that is illegal. If, however, the market is software distribution or even cell phone operating systems, it's very difficult to establish that Apple is a monopolist of that market. And so ultimately it comes down to the very same question that we have asked ourselves on the United States 
and Sherman Act side of things. Now, scrolling down a little bit, and I think we might have lost the highlights on this document, so we'll try a refresh here. Uh, scrolling down a little bit, we will see that Epic starts to make the same kind of claims as they did on the United States side. Apple's contravening conduct forces Epic to only use Apple's App Store to distribute its software applications and to only use Apple's payment platform for purchases of their in-app content by iOS device users. It also allows Apple to impose a 30% commission on the sale of every paid app and on every purchase of in-app content, a monopoly price, a monopoly price. Now we've talked about that. Epic has continued to assert that 30% is a monopoly price. We've talked about the fact that 30% is the baseline price at places like Steam, at places like the PlayStation Network Store and on the Xbox Store and things along those lines. And Epic really hasn't been able to square that circle that Apple is somehow using its power to establish a price when the price is the same across the board. But on that note, as you might have seen when we were doing our hat tips at the top of this video, Put a pin in that. We're going to talk about that a little bit more. Apple's contravening conduct has not been undertaken by Apple with respect to Apple personal computers where Apple does not enjoy the same market power. Now, I highlighted that phraseology because it doesn't make sense for Epic's theory of the case. To the extent Apple has monopoly power over iOS access, it 100% has the same monopoly power over access to its Macs. Apple does enjoy the same market power over its Macs and its iPhones. That isn't really in question. So what you've got here in section five is some kind of ancillary commentary to establish why Apple can treat its Macs differently and that Apple should be treating its phones the same as its Macintosh computers. But I think you really lose the forest for the trees here because in establishing this, it's very easy for Apple to say the phone is a different product from the Macintosh and judge to the extent that you are trying to establish that access to the iOS operating system is the monopoly, access to the operating system on the Mac is the monopoly. And if we don't enjoy market power over Macintosh because computers are out there, then we don't enjoy market power over phones because phones are out there. So Epic might have shot itself in the foot a little bit here. It'll be interesting to see them come back to this. This is the same kind of argument they've brought up time and time again on the United States side of things. And it will be interesting to see what an Australian court does with this kind of concept. Because again, Epic is trying to have its cake and eat it too. And who can blame them from a lawyer's perspective? If you're representing Epic, you want to try to make these distinctions and establish that your client is right coming this way and that way. But it creates a problem for their case because they have to establish that Apple has monopoly power over its phones. And really the phone market isn't so different from the computer market. And when you think of Androids and iPhones and Macintoshes and PCs or whatever other framework that you want to use. Continuing on, we see that it is estimated that there are over 1 billion iOS device users globally and that iPhones comprise over 55% of mobile devices used in Australia. We can assume that that's less than 60% because they would have used 60% as the number, which means that they again have a difficult task. They have to set forth that Apple is a monopolist of this market. Now they don't say it's the monopolist market of mobile devices. They're actually going to establish or try to establish what they do on the United States side and say that these markets are the iOS app distribution market. And I believe the iOS in-app payment processing market, that these are two separate markets that the court needs to protect. And again, we've gone over this background. If you're interested in more of this background, you can either check out this particular complaint, which I will, I will of course link in the description of this video, or the earlier videos 
in this playlist where we talk at more length in great detail about what's happened here with Epic and Apple specifically. Apple restraints. In order to develop and offer iOS-compatible apps in the App Store, app developers must enter into a number of standard, non-negotiable agreements as demanded by Apple. By the terms of the program license agreement, the PLA, Apple imposes the following restraints on app developers such as Epic. They must agree to distribute their apps to iOS device users only through the App Store. They must agree to appoint Apple Inc. and its subsidiaries to distribute their apps via the App Store. They must agree to only use Apple's IAP for the processing of payments for in-app content. And they must agree that Apple Inc. and its subsidiaries, including Apple Party Limited, will deduct a 30% commission from the price paid by users. Now, an important note here is you will see that in Australia, Epic is not nearly as flamboyant with the terminology here. We've seen it referred to as the Apple tax or the app tax with very large language talking about how Apple is just stealing the food off the tables of Epic employees and other developers with this Apple tax. Here you actually see it framed, I think a lot more appropriately as a commission on the price paid by users. Now, when you use the word commission, it starts to sound like Apple is providing some sort of service. The judge in the United States case in California has actually inquired when talking about the preliminary injunction says, doesn't this look a lot more like shelf space, like space that Apple has provided, that circus tent that we've talked about earlier in this series that they should get something for. And Epic has said, no, 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 that's not what it is. But when you start using the term commission as Epic, I think rightly does here in Australia, you start to make that mental connection, I think a little bit stronger, a little bit better. And I really think this is probably part of Australian law and the way that you have to describe these kinds of things that they used the kind of more innocuous term, the term that Apple would absolutely see them use on a basis more often. Then you see the primary grounds for the relief sought, the misuse of market power, which we talked about in which they try to establish that Apple has a substantial degree of power in the iOS app distribution market, in distributing apps on iOS. This is a tautological statement. There is no question that Apple has a substantial degree of power in app distribution on its own phones through the iOS. The question as ever is, is that an actual market for purposes of Section 46 of the Act here in Australia? That's not a question I can answer for you. It's certainly a question I have opinions on, as you know from watching uh, this playlist in its entirety, but it's not one that I can answer for you. It's certainly not one I can answer for you in Australian law. I just think that it creates a lot of problems if Epic's definition of this thing were to hold not just for Apple, but across the video game and other software landscapes. They say the restrictions are the pre-installs of App Store on iOS devices, prevents a broad base of iOS device users from deleting the App Store, prevents a broad base of iOS device users from downloading apps from any other source other than the App Store. And for all of these reasons, it affects or likely affects Apple's conduct to foreclose competition in the iOS app distribution market. They put the App Store on nine devices. They require you to use the App Store. They don't let you download apps from anywhere outside the App Store. And so we think that this is a misuse of market power in the app distribution market. Apple is going to combat this by saying that's not the software distribution market. It's not the phone markets. It's not even the operating systems on phones market. So you have to establish it as being only Apple and judge. We don't think that a market that narrowly defined is useful or the intent of the law in and of itself, because frankly, every manufacturer of every stripe has rules on access about selling its own products. And we don't want to destroy those things. I personally think that's the stronger argument, but we will see as these cases proceed. 
Continuing, we see the argument applied to the in-app payment processing market. Apple requires app developers to enter into the PLA. If they want iOS device users to be able to purchase in-app content, Apple restrains app developers such as Epic from using any in-app payment processing system other than Apple's IAP. Apple responded to Epic's conduct referred to in paragraph six above by removing Fortnite and doing very other bad things to them. And then the 30% commission charged by Apple and deducted from the price for in-app content represents monopoly rents. It's just too high, Judge. By reason of all that, Apple has contravened and continues to contravene Section 46. Then you've got issues with exclusive dealing, Section 47, which we didn't look at separately. But it says Apple supplies services to app developers on the condition that they will not acquire services of a particular kind or description from a competitor, being payment processing for in-app content. Hey, they're preventing us from selling a payment processing service. They're preventing us from doing what we want to do. They're preventing other developers from doing what they want to do. How can that not be exclusive dealing that's illegal under Australian law? And very similarly, under Section 45 of their law, they basically say contracts can't do these other very bad things otherwise. Apple has made and continues to make contracts, arrangements, or understandings with app developers such as Epic containing provisions that individually and or cumulatively have the effect of Apple restraining app developers such as Epic from distributing their apps to the broad base of iOS device users and from using in-app payment processing. We think this is unconscionable conduct. And Epic is going to have the same problem here in Australia, I would suspect, as they do in the United States, which is, hey, if this is unconscionable, how come you entered into this contract on these same terms for close to a decade now? And Epic is going to have to respond to that question, both from the Apple kind of counter and from the judge, I would suspect. Now, they seek the same kind of relief, as I understand it, as they do in the United States, not for damages, but to open up the contracts on the Apple level. This is actually referred to in a different document that I couldn't separately find, so apologies to my Australian brethren. Uh, But it does say that the relief sought is the same as the originating application, and if you go and you look at the various uh, periodicals on this particular case, you will see it referenced as them asking for uh, relief from the contractual terms. You then get allegations of harm kind of component and a certificate of the lawyer. But basically, and and God bless Australia for having a 14-page document instead of a 67-page document or three 68- or 70-page documents, but basically, this case is very similar to the one that Epic has brought against Apple in the United States. And the question becomes, does it make any more sense in Australia than it does in the United States? And it very well might. I don't know Australian law. And Australian law has been more consumer protective than the United States, and certainly not United States antitrust law has been historically in at least the recent past. So it'll be interesting to follow, but I think the register does get it right. If you go and you look, they actually editorialize at the bottom of their news articles here, which I found fascinating, and I would recommend for some uh, journalists here in the United States. They say, hey, a bigger prize for Epic would be to change local laws, and that is very much on the table right now, because Australia is currently running an inquiry into the competitive impact of app stores that mentioned the Epic Apple spat as one reason it is needed. So Epic is trying a pincer worthy of a game of Fortnite itself. It can win in the court, and that would not be a bad thing. Again, according to this particular outlet that appears to be on Epic's side, but it could lose in court, and by doing so, demonstrate that laws need a change and ram home that point to policymakers regardless of the inquiry's recommendations. So I think that's right. 
When we look at what Epic's doing, when we look at them trying to get the free Fortnite mob together and to make all of these public relations statements showing how they're in favor of freedom and software freedom and Apple's the big bad guy and going to these places like in the United States, like in Australia, probably like the European Union at some point that are looking at Apple as that bad guy and then just jumping on board and saying, yeah, they are a bad guy and we're going to bring this lawsuit And even by losing this lawsuit, maybe we can show to the legislatures of these various jurisdictions that the law is broken, at least from Epic's point of view. And in all honesty, that might work out at the end of the day. We are now living in 2020 in a world in which the CEOs of Facebook and Twitter and Google are brought before the United States Congress seemingly every other week to explain what they're doing with their technology. It wouldn't surprise me if in the next administration in the United States, there are laws passed that seek to curtail certain big tech activities. And while I don't think that Apple in trying to control access to the iOS really is in the same breadth as Google and search engine stuff and Facebook and data analytics stuff, and even Twitter to some respect and what they are doing with their messaging here in the United States and elsewhere, they have been kind of swept up into these actions across the globe and in the United States. And I think ultimately Epic's strategy here is to get on board and at bare minimum highlight the ways in which Apple is continuing to do what it does, even if they lose their court case. So it creates this interesting question, this interesting strategy. Australia is likely to be more receptive to Epic's claims than the United States. But even if they aren't, is this the kind of thing that could change Australia law? And if it does change Australian law, Could it be a a kind of beachhead into changing laws elsewhere? And I think that's why you see the last bit of news content that I wanted to bring up on this video is that Apple is starting to make moves to try to make itself look like a better party, to not just get negative press on these and other questions. As of today, in their newsroom, they said Apple announces an App Store small business program. New program reduces App Store commission to 15% from 30% for small businesses earning up to $1 million per year. So if you're small, if you haven't made a million dollars or actually a little bit more than that, as we will see as we read this press release, then you don't have to pay the 30% commission to Apple. You only have to pay 15%. This is a big win for small developers. Epic would probably do well to make their own press release saying that they are responsible in part for this. I suspect they will, knowing how they do their press releases. But what's interesting about this is that this is almost the exact reverse of some of the changes that we saw a couple of years back. If you can remember, when we looked at Steam changing its distribution agreement as of 2018, what they did was the opposite. They said starting from October 1st, 2018, when a game makes $10 million, the revenue share for that application will be adjusted to 75-25. It will be reduced. At $50 million, it will be reduced further so that the developer takes 80% versus 20% for Steam. So versus Steam, when you make more money on Steam, your cut that you will owe to Steam is reduced. On Apple, if you make too much money on Apple, the cut is effectively increased, that you're a small business that pays 15%, and if you suddenly make more than a million dollars, now you owe 30% on those amounts that are more than that million dollars. And so we have an interesting kind of bifurcation of the market. Just speaking strategically, it's interesting because Apple's best argument that 30% wasn't a monopoly price, in my opinion, was that it was the same really everywhere. 
And by doing this, it actually suggests that there is space to bring it down. There's space that maybe 30% is a monopoly price of some kind. This is a dangerous gambit in certain important respects. Now, I do think that Apple can differentiate. One of the things that we saw in the case that they brought against Epic or in their responses to Epic's request for a preliminary injunction is that Epic asked for 93 some odd reviews within a year for their app because it's a live services game. Fortnite is live services. They're constantly changing. And Apple was clearly using more resources to help Fortnite continue to make it to market than they might otherwise have been using for the two guys in a garage that make one game and put it up there and maybe update it once every quarter. And so Apple could go and say, hey, look, we charge more money for those higher revenue projects because we are spending more resources making sure that they are okay. But everybody that already thinks of Apple as a bad guy is going to continue to think of them as a bad guy and not really think that they deserve double the commission rate for a company that's just making more than a million dollars. The other kind of political aspect of this is that they now separate out the mom and pop app developers from the Epic Gameses of the world, right? Where Epic was saying, hey, all these developers are harmed by this. Everything is bad for everybody across the board. Apple is keeping competition down. Apple can at bare minimum now say, no, no, no. We only charge 30% to the companies that can clearly afford it, that are making a ton of money on this platform and that we deserve infrastructure costs for. So there will be these kind of competing statements about what this means. But on a practical level, if you are an app developer, this is Christmas, right? This is Apple saying you now get 15% more money for your app development as long as you don't make more than a million dollars, which is a lot, a lot of money. Apple today announced an industry-leading new developer program to accelerate innovation and help small businesses and independent developers propel their businesses forward. The new App Store small business program will benefit the vast majority of developers who sell digital goods and services on the store, providing them with a reduced commission on paid apps and in-app purchases. Developers can qualify for the program and a reduced 15% commission if they earned up to $1 million in proceeds during the previous calendar year. And you get some PR here. And they say they're going to reveal the comprehensive details in early December, but here are the bullets as streamlined. Existing developers who made up to $1 million in 2020 for all of their apps, as well as developers new to the App Store, can qualify for the program and the reduced commission. If a participating developer surpasses the $1 million threshold, the standard commission rate will apply for the remainder of the year. And if a developer's business falls below the million dollar threshold in a future calendar year, they can requalify for the 15% commission the year after. So there's a bit of a time lag here. And it's important that Apple is trying to establish that the baseline is still 30% and that this is a special program, special treatment for small businesses. As you can imagine, that's a little bit unusual, right? They say the vast majority of their developers will actually qualify for this thing. Usually you would frame that as it's 15% and then it goes up to 30% if you trip these various thresholds, the million dollars uh, in realization. But they've done it opposite, presumably because they want to give people the 15%. They want the positive PR, but they don't want to frame it as if it's 15% and we are charging these bigger companies extra because that starts to look more like monopolization. The App Store's standard commission rate of 30% remains in place for apps selling digital goods and services and making more than a million dollars in proceeds defined as a developer's post-commission earnings. So earlier in this press release, I said it's a little bit more than a million dollars. It's actually whatever that might be. I can't do the math in the back of my head. Something like a million, 150,000, where once you give Apple their 15%, 
then you've made more than a million dollars, then you have to cl- clock up to 30%. But before you hit that point, you don't owe them anything more than 15%. Earlier this year, it's worth noting, an independent study by the analysis group found that Apple's commission structure is in the mainstream for app distribution and gaming platforms. This is apropos of nothing, right? Why does this sentence exist here? It exists to defend the 30% rate. It exists to defend themselves from regulators and from the epic lawsuits that says, hey, just so we're clear, 30% is the mainstream. This is a benefit. This isn't an admission of guilt. This should not be read against us. And that's important because people are going to read it against them. And then you continue on with this. This is an important kind of news item for today. I will link this, of course, in the description of the video. But it's important because... Epic slash the regulators slash you all slash free Fortnite slash whomever are having an effect on the way that Apple does business. And I have always been in favor of putting that pressure on companies, not through outrage mobs, not through hashtag mobs about claiming the righteousness of your lawsuit that doesn't really follow from American jurisprudence, but by saying, hey, 30% is too much. Developers are getting strangled in the crib before their babies can grow up and make you money, Apple. And we really all need to be discussing this on a future-based basis because we want you to make money, Apple. We want to make money. We want more developers to make money. You want more developers in your ecosystem. And 30% is proving to be too high. So, So bring it down. But I also can't argue with the effectiveness of what is happening right now. We can argue about what what part Epic played in it as against Australian regulators and EU regulators and the House Judiciary Subcommittee and everything else, but it's clear that all of this happening has affected things. We've seen Google and Android make certain steps to say, hey, we're not like Apple. We've seen Microsoft come out and say, hey, we're not like Apple. We've now seen Apple say, okay, not 30% anymore, but 15% for almost everybody even though we all have to kind of go with the conceit that the baseline is 30%. And this is a special program that also happens to apply to almost every developer on the iOS ecosystem. So with all that said, with Apple being sued in Australia, with Apple lowering its rates, with Apple getting their countersuit tort claims kicked out of court on the United States level in California, we're now looking at an antitrust saga that is affecting very real change and might still affect change in the future, depending on what happens with the laws that might also still at the end of the day, and I think more likely than not, end in an epic lawsuit loss, even if epic might otherwise win on certain other practical bases like these. This has been Virtual Legality for today. If you enjoyed this video, please like, subscribe, share. We are coming up on our second anniversary here towards the end of November. I am very, very excited about it. Hopefully that we can hit, uh, looks like 28,000 subscribers by that point in time would be great. So tell your friends, tell people that we are out here. We got a lot of new subscribers from folks on Twitch talking about the various content that we have put up regarding how Twitch is treating the DMCA takedown kind of fiasco that they are dealing with with respect to the music industry. So if you know anybody that would be interested in that content, please do share it with them. Otherwise, I couldn't do any of this without all of you and already sharing it to all the various forums and posts that I see virtual legality appearing on. So thank you so much for that. If you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel. Thank you.